morning if I'm going to preach to, uh, to Facebook or um, what's going to happen because um, there's so many churches that um, is, uh, is rather streaming uh, but I'm glad you came to the house of the Lord it's, it's there's just something beautiful and um, when we see one another and we can see that you are healthy um, and that uh, you'll be fine uh, with all of the corona we are still um, standing and um, and God is in control eh? Uh, the world is not falling apart and um, until Jesus comes back we'll be fine okay and uh, and beyond <laughs> so uh, so thanks for for being here in the house of the Lord um, this morning I want to just quickly um, uh, yeah say thanks Sufiso it's good to have you here um, 24 hour notice um, he came back from Kuwait and um, him and his family, and they are with us. It's uh, actually a blessing in disguise. It's having, it's great to have you here. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, um, I want to just this morning conclude a few sermons that God has now um, led us to to talk about fortress of safety, and um, this is number three. So um, this morning, I want to really trust that God is going to conclude a few things in our hearts um, as He. Um, you know, clearly has spoken to us the last few weeks about how do we come to that place of finding peace in the Spirit, uh, in our souls, in, um, through the Spirit. And um, we spoke about even God's protection and His means of protection over family life, church life, um, the fact that He's got principles that we live by so that we can um, be the full people that He wants us to be. Um, and... Um, I want to conclude this um, series just in talking this morning about what is the mechanisms in the flesh that the enemy uses to, uh, to actually bring us out of that place of, of um, peace. And if you haven't um, heard the previous ones, please do some catch up. I really believe this is something that God wants to um, instill in our hearts. I really believe that God wants to teach us how to walk in the Spirit. As I also said, this morning, uh, even with the, the, the uh, worship here, I, I believe God wants to open our eyes to see the spiritual things for what it is. Um, he wants to uh, take our spiritual blindness away so that we can actually um, see Him in the Spirit. And, um, and this morning will be a conclusion of that, but I, I, I want to trust that if God has not spoken to you yet in, in this series, that this morning He will actually allow him to do something special in your heart. Okay. Um, 2 Samuel 13, verse 1 to 19, or 21 actually, to uh, all the way to 21. Um, I'll have to follow on the screen since I only have full verse 19 here, but I know I want to actually get to 21. So please keep up with me. So we're talking about ways in which the enemy brings us out of that place of, of rest, to a place where he can actually um, torture us and bring us to a place where we can't um, experience the blessings of God. So second, verse 1 to 21. Now Absalom, David's son, so just keep that in mind. This is David's son, Absalom. At the time, a beautiful young man um, that was uh, quite vibrant, had everything for him. The people even um, started to serve him rather than his dad at um, the, the end of his dad's reign um, as king over Israel. Um, 
he had a beautiful sister so he was not the only beautiful one he had a beautiful sister as well and her name was Talma and um, after a time Amnon David's other son from another wife um, uh, loved her and Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Talma for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her but Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Jamia, and David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. Now, I don't know what that craftiness is about, but he uh, sounds like a little bit of a schemer to me if I look at the ways in which he um, went about. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tama, my uh, brother's excellent sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tama come and give me bread to eat. And prepare the food in my sight, that I may say, see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretend to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. Then David, and clearly uh, David loved his sons a lot. Uh, he allowed them to do a lot of things, and we'll get to that later as well. Then David sent home to Tamar and saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tama went to her brother Amnon's house where he was laying down and she took dough and kneaded it and um, made, made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tama, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. Tama took the cakes she made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, um, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred which, with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. Amnon said to her, Get up, go. So clearly the shame upon him was so much that he was not willing to even deal um, with the consequences. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this is wrong, and sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of um, the king dressed. 
So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. And now I must find verse 20. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He's your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. A terrible story in um, the history of Israel. I think um, there's uh, only one other story that is uh, similar, and that was the one of Sodom and Gomorrah, and um, and just how uh, vile people were at the time to uh, to even you know um, take advantage of of um, the guests that they received. Um, a, a, a bad story, not just in in what it represents in the history of David's sons and David's um, kingdom, but, um, but also just in the shame that it represents toward um, people and the lust of the flesh. And, um, and this morning I want to quickly talk about these things. How do we actually come to a place as humankind to, to get to live so much in the flesh that it starts to rule over our lives? And clearly this man... Amnon, you know, was living a life of, of um, well, self-indulgence, but at the end, shame, um, and uh, he had to deal with it. But there's four things that I want to leave with you this morning, four things that actually leads us to a place where um, the devices of the enemy, now I, I want to remind you in the context of what we spoke last Sunday as well, is that place where the soul gets actually um, either been filled with the flesh or with the spirit and a place where we need to make the decision which one would rule our lives and we can't have both ruling in our lives we must choose which one would be the greatest and um, and so if we talk about these four things this morning I want to say this should not bring condemnation to us but rather an awareness of how we can actually anticipate and see what the enemy's um, schemes are so that we can start to rule over them and the first one is judgment our judgment of other people cause a root of bitterness to spring up in us and this becomes a spiritual um, spiral that leads us to a place where we start to make assumptions and even judgments of people and where we start to um, even form those pictures of people and their identity uh, because of what they do toward us. And I want to just uh, read Hebrews 12 verse 15. It says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Now, this is a difficult one, and this morning we'll have to unpack it, but what I can tell you is that that place of of hatred or even judgment toward another person's actions bring a spiral in our lives of of bitterness that that is not good for us and not good for our souls at all. 
because it captures our souls and it brings us to a place where we start to produce the kind of fruit that that focus in our lives um, is uh, ruling within us. So listen to this. It says, to make a negative conclusion about, and this is now a judgment, to make a negative conclusion about the character of another person, especially someone in relationship with you, based on the assessment of attitude, words, or behavior toward you. Now this is difficult, and I want to say to you, it might be that boss at work, you know, that uh, often speak down on you and speak negative things toward you and there's a place of bitterness where you've now and resentment that you've now you know build it against him and those pictures that you have even of this person um, allows you to actually um, project your actions toward them if we judge we will take the same attitude that we are judging others with um, on in our own lives. Judgment, uh, judgment has the ability to take root and reproduce in others close to you. And these false images of people bring us into a place of captivity. And uh, the sad thing about judgment and um, bitterness in our lives is that we then start to only focus on this. And this consumes us. This brings us to a place of... of um, only focusing on our emotional attentions on, on the judgment in our hearts. Galatians 6 verse 7 to 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So, Again, coming back to the place where the, spirit, the soul starts to be um, ruled by the flesh because of the decisions that we make. And it says that those seeds that is implanted of bitterness and resentment toward other people is going to multiply. Now, we also know that these seed, uh, seeds in our lives um, also multiplies not just in um, doubling up, <laughs> but it becomes greater. So it says even that uh, when um, seed are being sown, that we will have a great harvest. So if it is true for good things, I can say to you negative things is exactly the same. So the ugly thing about judgment and bitterness in our hearts is the fact that it multiplies. That soon we start to, to think more negative thoughts and more negative things about people and circumstances and, and even our, our circumstances around us. And I want to tell you, I'm, I'm watching people even in the midst of our corona you know, crisis. And I'm just thinking, you can easily see where people are at in their negative thoughts because it's busy multiplying. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've heard any message from, um, you know... The, uh, the fear of not having toilet paper to, uh, to the, the place where China is now the worst place in the world and uh, the people are deserving to, uh, to get judgment thrown to them. This is the kind of messages that you get in Christian circles about their judgment in how they perceive the fear in their lives. And so I want to say to you, when it gets to, to this place where negativity and uh, judgment start to, um, to rule our lives, our attitudes get influenced by the seeds that we choose to multiply. 
And so we know that our soul is like a camera. It, uh, it focus or it actually produce whatever it focus on. <laughs> um, and so it becomes that all-consuming use of energy and emotions to bring us to a place where we start to produce the kind of fruit that is not of God. And we don't even know it. And so the best scheme of the enemy is to bring us to that place of judgment where I even start to justify my actions because I'm deserving better. I'm supposed to not be treated this way. And I start to build this case against people around me. And, and so I can say to you, judgment focuses the soul wrongly through false images and produces bad fruit. And so uh, people that find themselves in us, when we find ourselves within judgment, it brings us to a place where bad fruit is produced. And I can testify of that. You know, the same things that I, um, you know, judged within my dad later on in life started to produce in my own life. And it multiplied. It even became worse. I remember, you know, um, just after varsity, I had this fight within me, you know, that uh, my dad was so busy all of his life serving other people. And, you know, he never got to us as as siblings, you know, he never gave us the kind of time that he gave the people. And his words was always serve the people of God and serve other people. Make sure that you are a servant to other people. And so he was always preaching this thing. And I had this resentment within me. But dad, can we just talk about you not ever serving us as a family? You were never there. You were always busy serving other people. And I was judging him so much that at a time in my life, I got to such a bitterness that I had to deal with this issue because I realized that the same, the very same thing that I was judging him with was starting to portray itself within me. And I can tell you this is exactly what happens with judgment. And that's why the enemy so effectively used that tool in our lives to actually uh, start to produce the same kind of thing within us. It was only later on in years when, you know, I remember my dad, you know, being in, in the, the church that um, we, we planted at the time, where, um, where I realized that his intentions was never to, to harm us as a family, but he wanted us to understand that it is our vision. It's not his vision. He was wanting us to serve with him in that vision. And it's when he started to, to even serve, you know, in the church and I remember him going with me to different um, opportunities to go and preach at different churches and he would travel with me and it was only then that I started to hear his heart in saying, listen, this legacy is now yours. <laughs> I always had this, this, this heart's desire that we as a family must understand the mandate that was placed upon us. And it was only when I got to my senses and realizing that, Dad, it was never about you being absent or you wanted me to catch your heart. You wanted me to be there, you know, sitting on that scrum machine there, uh, you know, when he was a coach um, for provincial sides and I was sitting on that scrum machine waiting for him to finish. And yet those memories are today one of the best memories that I have about him and the legacy that he left for me and for us as a family. 
And so it's, it's strange how we sometimes, you know, fall in this trap. We, we are so self-righteous in who we are and, you know, what we deserve and what is God's calling upon our lives. And, and we start to actually judge people around us without even the self-awareness of God. We are all just, you know, humans trying to do whatever you want us to do. And so uh, we find ourselves judging people, you know, because of their actions and their behaviors, and we, we have these images about them, and it binds us to a place where we start to actually fulfill the same things because of the judgment and the bad attitudes within us. And so I can tell you that um, this is so true even in marriages. <laughs> I often see this, the things that... Um, we judge um, our um, mothers and fathers of is the things that um, exactly is happening within our marriages. And um, the focus of judgment consumes you. It makes you feel dreadful speaking and thinking of the wrongdoing of that person. Is it not so? That after, you know, using all of your time and focus to always complain about what this person has done against you and and how they've painfully, um, you know, inflicted wrongdoing against you, you feel so bad about the way in which you allowed the enemy to sow seeds of negativity and bad thoughts of that person. And you're not benefiting from the place of being in the spirit and being in a place of peace with God, because God has a view about that person. He has a heart's desire to see that person coming to their fall. Um, and it sucks the life out of you. Number two, is the wrong future expectations happen then? Now listen to this. When we judge the false image we form about that person, is duplicated in our expectation in how others will behave toward us in the future. This image is replicated on someone else when they set a foot wrong and we treat them the same way we would toward the person we judge. And so you, you, you sit in your workplace, <laughs> you know, you make one mistake and you've got this person lashing out on you <laughs> and against you and you think, you know, where did this come from? You know, I've, I've only got to know you now. <laughs> you know, I thought this is just my first um, uh, step wrong. <laughs> and it's strange how, you know, people, because of the perceptions and experiences of the past, form certain negative patterns of relating even to you or to um, leaders um, in their lives because of what happened in the past. And so it's almost an unfair thing I've said many times to people, even in the church, you know, listen, maybe you've had a bad experience in the past, but can we just talk about the reality of how I dealt with you? Not because of me, Hercules, but because of my position. And so I can tell you this is so natural for us as people to, to get out of a place of peace in our souls by adopting certain viewpoints and wrong thinking of experiences that we had in the past. And God wants to come and heal those. He wants to come and heal those experiences. Maybe it's a dad even in your life that was, um, was treating you bad. 
And because of that, every leader and any person that uh, wants to speak into your life doesn't get the advantage of it. <laughs> because of your negative experience. And so, um, you close your heart because of the judgment and experience of the past. And so, um, I can tell you there was uh, so many times in my life that I had the opportunity to work through this. You know, where God challenged me. I was sitting with a friend of mine once and um, I was saying to him, you know, um, Mac, listen, um, you know, there's people that really uh, did harsh things against me and we were judged um, wrongly, me and my wife, even in all of our intentions, doing so much good things toward people. Uh, clearly, I'm just too naive to, uh, you know, to know how vicious people can come against you. And, um, and then him rebuking me, saying to me, listen, you dare not stop believing in people and the love that people have in their hearts toward you. Because if you do, just remember that that same <laughs> um, cynical nature sure. will close your heart to ever again trust people or allow people in your life. Mm. And so I can tell you, because we are not dealing with those experiences in our lives, we find ourselves making the same mistakes over and over, and we are busy redefining our relationships with other people because of past experiences, and we don't give them a fair chance. And so I can tell you that when we serve God, He allows His love, and that's why I love 1 John 4, you know, 1 John 5, um, the whole of 1 John, we're working through it, so, uh, so it's such a special one for me now. But just the fact that God says you can't love Him if you don't love the people around Him. Why? Because of actually that closed hearts that we, we um, allow in our, in our lives so that we can't reach out to people and love them as God loves, loves them um, and extend God's love. Men create in uh, their wives the qualities they hated in their mothers and women create in their husbands the qualities that they judge in their fathers. <laughs> Can I read it again? Men create in their wives the qualities they hated in their mothers and women create in their husbands the qualities that they judge in their fathers. And, and I often see this, that the things that you, um, you hated in your mother... <laughs> You know, you um, project that on your wife. And um, consequently, men will tend to take on the qualities they judge in their fathers and women in their mothers. Past experiences. We spoke about the place of safety, that if it's a place that we were vulnerable and we um, got pain, we then start to project that on other people. You know... Um, 1 John 4 verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. If you judge somebody, you are not loving them. <laughs> and uh, I want to just say to you this morning, for us to get back into that place of peace, we first need to stop the judgment. And then we must deal with the past. We must deal with our past experiences. Otherwise, we'll never get to give ourselves and the people around us a fair chance to love us and to experience the love of God in and through our lives. Number three, the wrong self 
image, wrongly endowing others with the same attitude about us as we have about ourselves. A false self-image in our souls draw behavior out of others that confirms us the truth of our false image in which we believe. Okay, lots of words, but I want to make it as practical as I can this morning. Um, you know, I was confronted the other day again. I often even say it over the pulpit, so I must maybe start to repent about it. But, um, you know, um, I find it difficult to, to connect with people that I don't know. I with people that I know and I'm familiar with, you know, I love building relationships. My wife always says my capacity is I will always have people in the house. I will always just spend time with people because I've got this capacity uh, for people. But in my own head... I've got this problem that when I'm among people that I don't know, I feel like just running in the corner and just stay there, you know. So the other night we went to this parliamentary, um, uh, what, what they, did they call it? It was a reception. A reception, parliamentary reception for third space ministries. And now they've got um, uh, people from all walks of life just to come and um, celebrate the, the 10th um, anniversary of... Um, third space and now these these people that i don't know now i've got this dilemma you know there's food and there's and i always just run to the people that i know so i love to run to the people that i'm doing the outreaches with in third space and but i find it very difficult to connect with with people that i don't know but when i start to uh, to communicate with them you know i just always have this pleasant experience of I want to and they want to just see me again, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's strange how it happens. But within my own head, I've got this barrier of what I'm thinking about myself and my own experience about mingling with people that I don't know. And that barrier, that mountain within me project. So listen to me now, because I want you to learn out of my mistakes. Is because I have this issue, I... Unlike, you know, so clearly, you know, the last person that you must connect with at a party, because I'm standing in a corner just trying to mind my own business, and people know, okay, that guy, you know, you should not um, mingle with at all because he's antisociable. <laughs> Are you with me? And that's how rejection happens in our lives. That's how, you know, um, even bitterness happens in our lives because people start to perceive us for what we think we are. Are you with me? People start to even react toward us in those mountains in our own heads, <laughs> in our own perceptions. And so if the enemy can install within our souls the images of who we are wrongly, we will for the rest of our lives keep on living lives that represent those images. Are, are you with me? Let's use another example. Okay, it looks like you don't believe the pastor. So I'm going to... Uh, um, the naughty boy at school. Um, the, uh, before he went to, to school, his mother and dad knew that he's almost impossible to work with and they go and speak to the teacher. <laughs> Just listen. Make sure that you prepare for this one. Because when this boy comes to school, you might have to uh, be at a place where you can um, put away all the stuff that is um, that can break. Uh, you must make sure to have very strict rules. You must. Uh, 
The sad thing about this reality is that this poor boy coming for the first day at school never had the opportunity to prove himself because he already is labeled according to what his parents think and what he himself believe he is. Are you, are you with me? And that label, even if he repents and changes life, might even result in people for the rest of his life think about him that way. Is it not so? Because people in life loves to, uh, to put labels on us. So even, you know, you can see uh, people getting saved that had very um, bad lifestyles in the past. They struggle to even get and have a fair chance in having that fresh start. So, so when it gets to our wrong self-image, it means that because we see ourselves that way, we start to respond in such a way. Guess what that little boy will do the first day that he gets to school? He's going to prove his character. <laughs> He's going to pr prove exactly what his mom and dad said he is. Because if you think I'm a naughty boy and if you're going to put such boundaries um, around me to, uh, to limit me to, uh, to do things, I'm going to prove to you that these boundaries are too close. <laughs> are you with me? And so, we find ourselves in our souls at a place where we start to represent um, or even uh, reflect the kind of behavior that we see ourselves to be. The mountain is in our own head. And then, the fourth one is manipulation. Is that one of the biggest things that I see in Christian lives when it gets to the soul is the one of manipulation in which we try to get to the goals that we set for ourselves in a fleshly manner. So listen to this. Manipulation, manipulating others for the purposes of accomplishing our own goals using whatever methods or words or flesh deems necessary to get another person to do what we want them to do. And this can be very subtle. And I can tell you, even in Christian circles, it's so easy because, uh, because it's so subtle, we can use even Christian principles to manipulate people to do whatever we want them to do. <laughs> we uh, will bash them over the head about what they must do and what they should not do so that they can actually fulfill our goals and um, get to, uh, to the promises that we want for our lives. And we, um, we see this even in, 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 in prophecy. <laughs> you know, People can even use prophecy in such a manner to dictate our ways, to dictate the way in which we do. And so, a born-again spirit cannot be manipulated by the flesh or seek to manipulate others. And the proof in this is Jesus was never manip manipulated. <laughs> Jesus was not manipulated by the Sadducees and Pharisees um, or by his own disciples, which wanted to, uh, to even compete for certain um, you know, positions in the kingdom of God. And so, the Sadducees and Pharisees often came to Jesus and uh, wanted to trick him into fulfilling their agenda. One of those were the taxes, for instance. Now you can just imagine that, you know, if you were a citizen of the, well, at that time, Roman Empire, but the Jewish um, um, culture, it meant that one of the greatest taxes that was put up, up, upon you was those of the temple, <laughs> you know, and of the Roman Empire. And so, when they come to Jesus and they say, so who do you pay taxes to? This is not without any intentions. 
This is because they knew that this Jesus bringing this free gospel, free to all, you know, you don't need to pay the temple taxes or, you know, if they can get Jesus in the corner where he actually admit that you don't need to pay taxes, <laughs> this will be a great benefit. And yet, in the midst of this, they come with their agenda to Jesus. And every time, how does Jesus react? He reacts in the spirit rather than um, in the flesh. And he sees through the manipulation that comes against him to a place where soulish power could not be used against him, but rather that of the spirit. And so, I know that manipulation is rooted in a false image of God and result in feeling God is um, unfaithful because he's unable to meet our needs. We think that God is unfaithful because we've got this agenda and if God has not served this agenda and we cannot get to those goals, you know, God is unfaithful and he doesn't fit into our you know, way of thinking. Listen to this. Our minds governed by the flesh devise plans to accomplish our goals through manipulation. And so we see lots of scheming and conniving happening, even uh, with the people around Jesus at the time. You know, it, uh, if it's not uh, Judas that is busy um, pocketing out of the cash box, he's also busy making plans to uh, get rid of Jesus so that he can buy some land. <laughs> and, uh, and so you can uh, go through all of the agendas of the disciples and it's exposed at certain times. Even Peter was exposed. When Jesus said to him, you clearly want to fight a battle and cut off ears and do all kinds of fleshly things, but I'm not in it. And so I, I, I know one thing about getting in the soul a place of unrest is the place where we start to manipulate our circumstances to to benefit our goals rather than is those goals from God after all. <laughs> and the greatest place of surrender is actually that place where you say, God, maybe I've missed you. <laughs> maybe I should just get back to the drawing board and talk about where your agenda really is. And so when it gets to soulish power, we often find ourselves at a place of unrest because we want to manipulate our circumstances and people around us to fulfill our agendas. And so, you know what we do normally is um, when we start to disciple people and we walk a road with people, we often, when it gets to the ability to, to overcome in our fleshly ways, try to to discipline people or try to even help them to discipline themselves by showing them what they're doing wrong. Rather than to get to a place where we in the spirit can see what God sees for their lives. What God, God's plan is for their lives. And so I often, you know, find myself even in you know, when I sit in, even in counseling sessions, I sit and I immediately can make into my mind, you know, the, uh, the sums. This person has this and this and this and this wrong, and we can uh, sort it out by doing this and this and this. It's such a natural response. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to me and He says to me, listen, can you put away those points and just get back to my heart for this person? Because it's easy to show them what they are doing wrong <laughs> and even manipulate them too 
to start to manipulate their flesh <laughs> rather than to understand my heart's beat. And you know, I can take this through all of our circumstances at this time, even in Corona <laughs> times. You know, we so want to rule our circumstances and people around us to get to our agendas rather than to walk in the Spirit and ask God, what is He busy doing? So there's very few people that are actually talking about what is God saying rather than, you know, what are we going to lose the next <laughs> few weeks, you know, when there's no food on the table. And <laughs> Are you with me? And I want to say to you, I don't want to condemn you again because Christ is not. Christ understands all the worries and this morning it again um, showed it to us because we've got lots of worries and we've got lots of things that we actually want to, um, to live by and things that we want to have in place in our lives. And, you know, the more we get into a, a first world country mode, the more self-righteous we become. It's strange how the people in India and Africa don't even know that they have the corona. <laughs> and they're not bothered by it. You know what? Because their trust is not in their government to sort it out because they can't. And I'm saying that with respect. I'm not saying that those countries can't. But what I'm just saying is, yeah, we are sacrificing, you know, our relationship with our government because we are now cross with them and we are now, the NHS is not producing. And <laughs> That's an NHS worker. <laughs> <laughs> the challenge is just that the NHS can be the best medical system in the whole world and it's still not going to produce the goods because it will never be able to satisfy people's needs that's a, a endless you know pit And with our relationships, it's the same. We want to satisfy people around us all the time by trying to, to, to do the right things so that they will be more satisfied in their perception about us and about our circumstances and what we are doing. And yet, that pit is never going to be um, stopped because it's an endless pit. And I want to say to you this morning, my challenge is within the circumstances that we are living in our soulish ways is that we want to fill the, the soul the whole time with the flesh in such a way that we forgot about the spirit at all. <laughs> you know, I love the pictures of people in China that use this opportunity to share the gospel now like never before. <laughs> because what's on their plate is a place of contentment in whatever season God gives us to live and to die is gain. <laughs> and so um, we get so phased by our circumstances and things not going well with us that we forget actually that living in the Spirit means that it's never promised that it's going to be easy. It's always going to be a challenge, but the reality is Walking in the Spirit is an exciting thing when you know the heartbeat of God and His promise for your life. And so, um, let's go back to Absalom's life and, um, and how he responded. You know, um, Absalom, after this horrible thing that happened with his, um, his sister, always 
in his heart was nurturing this um, soulish thought of how will he bring vengeance against his brother. And so he, uh, he gets a scheme one day of getting all of the brothers together at a party and, um, and then he would uh, take his chances. He asked his dad, Dad, would you allow me to, uh, to take the brothers for a party? And especially this one brother of mine. And, um, and so that we can um, have a good time together. They went to the party and soon the, the other brothers see what, what this agenda is all about. And they get onto their horses and they run because um, Absalom kills his brother in vengeance toward what happened to his sister. The sad story is that um, Absalom did get his vengeance. Um, he did, um, you know, uh, um, become the superman of the family because he was um, sorting out the brother that everyone knew was doing such a wrong thing. The problem is the scheming and conniving in Absalom didn't end. He just kept on going from one thing to the, to the other. And then after that plotted even against his dad and almost killed his dad, took his dad's wives, did horrible things. And uh, was killed at the end. Um, all of us know the, the very um, bad death. But you know what? For me the sad reality of, of Absalom's life is that we often find ourselves in exactly the same place. We want to be the saviors of this world and you know if we can sort out and bring judgment against people around us you know if I look at David as um, as wrong as David was and he should have disciplined his sons probably better and we can have all kinds of you know um, reasons to criticize him is that David never took the law in his own hands but rather went to God to go and ask what is the agenda God what is your agenda what do you want to do <laughs> And the beautiful thing about, you know, just a scheming and conniving and, and um, you know, the bitterness of the past and even our perceptions about ourselves and our own is that Christ is in our boat. That He has a desire to actually meet us at that place where that soulish desires to have the flesh rule in us, you know, can be overcome. Because Christ is not bitter. Christ is not, um, you know, uh, uh, at a place where he has a bad self-image. <laughs> he knows exactly where he is. And it often said, you know, in his walk on earth, that Jesus, knowing where he's come from and where he's going, would wash the feet of the disciples, know to serve them, because he didn't have problems with his identity. And so um, this morning I want to say to you, the enemy gets us at a place of condemnation and you know, feeling guilty about our circumstances in such a way that we find it difficult to get rid of the past and our old man and, and, um, and, and, and old fleshly uh, desires until we can get to the place of seeing Christ within us being the hope and the glory. But we need to make the decision to start to operate in the spirit. Can we quickly stand? I'm going to conclude this morning. You know what? You might say to me this morning, 
Yes, but Absalom was clearly a good schemer and conniver. Jacob was, by the way, uh, even worse in many cases. <laughs> in how he took hold of his brothers, some inheritance. And, and so I can go on, you know, many um, stories of, of people in the Bible that got it so wrong walking in the flesh, and yet God was still with them. <laughs> and when I say to you this morning that you know, there's a war in our soul and, you know, the, the flesh always wants to, um, to rule. You know, I want to say to you, God never expected you to be so great that you can rule over all of your fleshly desires. But rather to know your weakness and your incompetence mm. to do so. Amen. Mm. And the place of rest is the place of surrender, that place where you realize that God, you know what? Corona, not Corona, <laughs> um, circumstances that feels like it's overwhelming you in the workplace, your financial situation, your sickness, your physical body. You know, there's so many things that I can mention this morning because if it's, you know, I like what C.S. Lewis said about the atom bomb. I don't know if you guys saw that article that I've um, posted this week as well. Um, you know, if it was the, the atom where people just, you know, was um, uh, tempted to go and hide away because, you know, there's going to be an atom war and, and, you know, it's just the next thing. <laughs> then it's the uh, uh, Black Death and the, you know, all kinds of bad things that happens to humanity. But the only thing that brings us to a place of peace in our spirits is a place of surrender. God, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Even to die is gain. <laughs> because you are with us. And uh, in our circumstances, if, if I'm currently, you know, we're walking a road that is God um, challenging, I can tell you, I'd gladly go through it, God, because I love you so much that I know that you're in control of my life. Your preeminence, your, your providence... <laughs> brought me to a place where I realized that you will make life happen for me because you love me. You will do whatever you, you want in my life as long as I don't scheme. As long as I don't take it into my own hands to fulfill my destiny, my purpose. And I want us this morning, um, as the end of this series, if we can just get the worship quickly going. I want to say to you, you know, I love this place where the world is even shaken. <laughs> and all of us need to make very conscious decisions about life and where we find our hope and our trust in. Because that place is a place where you and I must decide, is the Spirit going to rule within us? And is going, our worries and our fears going to be greater than He that lives within us? Father, we thank You this morning that you've been so good to us. All of our lives, Father God, you have planned and purposed us to, to be victorious. You don't teach us, God, even through the things that happens wrongly against us in our lives. You don't have a desire, a fulfillment to punish us, to, to get our attention.
Because if we listen to your spirit, we will always be at a place of contentment, no matter what happens. And we worry and we break our heads and our, and our hearts and our <laughs> even our efforts and our trust. Because we want to take control. And this morning, Jesus, we want to come to that place of surrender again. Where neither our perceptions of the past will rule us anymore. About our own lives and even about the people that we connect with. Those images, those negative images that the enemy has planted there through our willingness. <laughs> We want to ask you to come and remove it. And the judgment within our hearts, Father, to always think that we are on the pedestal and we've got it all right and we can um, dictate other people's lives and tell them what to do. Father, come and take that haughty spirit out of us and replace it, Father, with one of humility and blessing. Because that's not who you are. Jesus, you're not haughty, you're not prideful, you're not... You're loving, you're compassionate, and you always walk in the Spirit. You hear the Father's heart toward His children. Now, God, we repent this morning because we are not always representing You well. We're not representing to the world the love of the Father as it should be. And Father, even with that, You are fine. <laughs> because You can meet us at that place of just recognizing it. That in our flesh we've tried it. We've done all that we could to reach out to people and to show them your love and it was skew and, <laughs> and you were fine with it because you know our heart. But God, this morning we thank you for a place of surrender where you love us so much that you are saying, I knew it from the beginning. <laughs> You would not make it out of your own fleshly ways. God, we, we stand before you this morning and we recognize that you've said it, we've heard it, and we still got it wrong. But you're fine with us. You're fine with where we are at because you love us. And Christ, may we represent you even better in the future. May we not be in that soulish place of the flesh ruling. But oh God, more than that, let us get to know your voice and your spirit better in the future. Amen. Open our spiritual eyes to be on your agenda. When others criticize and get negative, we're going to see Jesus. When others start to judge and to... Uh, throw the stones we're going to be compassionate when others even react in fleshly ways in the times that we are living <laughs> buying more toilet rolls than they should <laughs> then Father we know that you, um, you love us so that you're going to portray through us your love Amen. your agenda you're going to, in this world, mm. portray your heart's beat. Mm. And it's the best time ever to do so. Mm. And oh God, as we 
walk in this relationship with you and you start to even expose our hearts for, for our own um, abilities that are shortcoming. We, uh, we know that your spirit is going to be extended to us more than ever as we recognize the flesh and the weakness of it. We ask you, Jesus, lead us in this time. Be in our boat. Whenever we get fearful, you rise within us. Trust you, Jesus. There's nobody else in this world that we trust more. Not our government. Our help will come from our God that has made heavens and earth. Oh Jesus, we love you. This morning,